church service is very creative today. Trying to do things on the fly here. Okay. So most of you raised your hands, right? As far as when you have noticed someone, maybe you admitted right here, right now that you said, what the heck are they thinking dressed like that? Okay. Now, anyone in here have teenagers, middle school, high school, anything in that range? Anybody have teenagers at home? Got a few hands raised. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Because the thing is with having a teenager, right? That's a conversation you probably have weekly. You are not going out of the house looking like that, right? Have you ever had that conversation before with the guys? It's just as much as the girls sometimes. Guys are dressing kind of crazy. But the reality is sometimes we see people and we're just like, oh my goodness, what were they thinking wearing that? And I know for a fact I have probably worn things that look crazy too. I just got back from Disneyland on Friday and you see some crazy looking dressing going on there, right? Everyone thinks they're Mickey Mouse, kind of scary. Everybody thinks they're a mouse at Disneyland. Now you're probably wondering, what is the point of what I'm talking about? I promise there's one. Today, we are going to take a look at what we look like. I mentioned earlier that sometimes people, maybe they didn't even look in a mirror before they left the house. God's word for us spiritually is our mirror. God's word gives us a reflection of where we're at in our walk and in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at a very practical passage, maybe a passage that many of you know very well. Some of you actually probably know it much better than I do because you just took a, a class in the book of James. But we are going to take a look at God's word. And this passage is so practical. I could get up here. The microphones could totally explode on me. I could do the worst job in the history of mankind preaching and this passage would still challenge you. It's that practical. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come into your house, to hear your word proclaimed, to read it. Dear Heavenly Father, we're going to look at the practical applications of your word. We're going to look at how we should be ready to receive from your word. And Father God, we're not here just playing religion. We're just, we're not here just going through the motions. Father God, we are here to let you change us today. Father God, we don't need perfect microphones. We don't need perfect PowerPoint. We don't need perfect air conditioning. We need you. We need your presence. We need your word, Father, to change us from the inside out. Father God, I thank you for everybody who is here. I thank you for everybody who is listening online, Father. Dear Lord, I just pray, Lord, that your word will go forth and it will change hearts and minds. It will get to the very core of who we are and what we're all about. Jesus, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and turn to James chapter 1, verse 19 through 27. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. The title of the sermon today is Authenticity Through Clarity. And we want to see ourselves as we really are so that we can be authentic, obedient, committed believers. 
James chapter 1, verse 19 says this. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It is hard to act the right way when you're angry. Verse 21, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness or humility the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and he goes away and immediately he forgets what kind of a man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. An extremely challenging and practical passage from James' writing. Now, a quick just intro to the book of James. It was probably written around 44, 45 AD. It is probably the first book written in the New Testament. Galatians may be, but it's either that or the book of James. And James was written to a Jewish Christian audience, just dealing with just real practical issues about living out your faith. And let me ask a question. Who here wants someone to look at your life and for them to be able to say that person lives out their Christian faith. I mean, it's a no-brainer, right? Who here feels confident in saying that everybody looks at your life and says that person's faith is real, genuine, authentic, and always being displayed in how they live and how they walk and how they talk? Not as many hands went up. By God's grace, God is changing us daily. The process of sanctification, which Pastor Mike has talked about a little bit recently, the process of sanctification by which God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, changes us daily more and more into the person that God has called us to be. And that's what we're doing when we meet together. We're doing that process. We are, and we're going to talk about that in a the, in the second, if we are the right kind of soil for God's word, God is going to change you right here, right now. It's not an if or a maybe, but if we are the right kind of people, the right kind of soil with the right kind of hearts, God's going to change you. His word does not return void. Amen? Amen. So let's look at verses 19 through 20. And if, if you want to title this path or this little section, I would call it good soil versus bad soil. We want to be good soil. When we came in here today, we came in here with what preconceived notions, preconceived thoughts, our attitudes. Maybe they were really good. Maybe they were really bad. Maybe some of us are so excited to be at church. Some of us are like, man, I would love to be home in bed right now. Right? Let's be honest. We all have our different attitudes. God's word in this passage teaches us what good soil for hearing God's word looks like. And who wants to be good soil? Hopefully everybody's hand would go up on that. So let's be good soil. 
Let's look at the word of God and let's let God change us right here, right now. Verses number 19 and 20 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Once again, for the wrath of God does not produce the righteousness of God. First point in your notes is this, and this is a challenging one, I think, for a lot of us in here, including myself. My wife would attest to this. Point number one is we need to have receptive ears. That's more than just listening. It's more than just listening. We need to come in here, or if someone goes to you with a word from the Lord and says, hey, you know, I just have an encouraging word for you. We need to have receptive ears. That means this, that we are ready. We are ready to hear from God's word, and we are ready to be changed, and we are not going to talk over the word of God. Or we are going to have ears that literally perk up and are excited what God has for his kids and what God has for his children. Sadly, and I include myself, I don't think this is always the case. Are we always excited to hear from God's word? Are we always like, yes, sermon, 40 minutes. I hear a lot of laughter. I mean, I remember especially when I was a teenager, got something to sit in the back back there. I'd sit there at church and just be like, oh my goodness, is this over? I went to a church that lasted two and a half hours per service, by the way. What are we? You have to listen to me for probably 30, 35 minutes, a little bit of worship, no big deal, right? My wife, Tanitha, up here, her church pretty much never ended growing up. It was like 24-7, Pentecostal. But we need to have ears that are truly ready. And I just ask you, it's a real simple question. Were your ears ready today? Are they ready right now? At the very end of the sermon, we're going to look, we have some notes in there, of course, for you. And we're going to look at a few extra, just simple areas in which God wants his word to practically change us. Practical areas. But if our ears are not ready to hear from the word of, li- of the living God, nothing's going to happen. God is not the puppet master pulling our strings saying, Pam, today this is exactly what you're going to do. No questions asked. Tony, same for you. Brenda, same for you. It's not how God works. God's our father, our heavenly father, and we're his kids. Does he desire us to obey him? Absolutely. Does he desire for us to hear his word and react accordingly? Absolutely. But... He wants it to be, what, a partnership. Is he omnipotent? Absolutely. But it's a partnership between God the Father and us as kids. He wants us to respond. He wants us to be excited. It was great that Brandon came out here and everybody was laughing, having a good time. That's awesome. We should have even more of a good time when we read God's word together. You know, we say 18,000 words per day. 18,000 words. I probably say more like 36,000 sometimes. How many of our words are being used to edify each other and being used to glorify God? If we were able to take a tally of those 18,000 words per day, obviously it's not always exactly that number. How many of those words would be used to glorify God, edify each other, and how many of those words would be used to what? Tear people down, maybe tear ourselves down. To forget, to forget to praise God during the day. It's a challenging and a sobering thought. Going on from there, point number two. And point number one and two in your notes here, they really are just, they're connected. You need to have, and this is another easy one, patient tongues. Patient tongues.
Anybody here struggle with this one? It's pretty hard to hear from God. It's pretty hard to hear what God is trying to do in your life when we're talking. Right? Now, it says slow to speak in the text. It doesn't say you can't ever talk. Right? But it sounds very much like something you would read in the book of Proverbs. But we need to what? We need to be patient. I don't know about this. This is a total sin of mine. See if anybody else does this. Someone will be telling me something. Sometimes it's important. Maybe sometimes it's about Kobe. Whatever. Right? Especially if it's like a pretty like serious conversation. I am typically thinking or trying to think at least one, two, three, four, five steps ahead of them. Anybody ever do that besides me? It's a horrible habit, by the way. Sorry for everyone who raised their hand. But, you know, I do it too. So I'm just calling myself out. It's a horrible habit. In the context of hearing from God and God's word, being encouraged, being challenged in the community of believers, which is what James is doing here with Jewish believers, it's a horrible habit. You're even sitting there and someone's been preaching. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's always me. Maybe whenever you see me up here, you're like, oh, my goodness. I got to start you know, doing my to-do list today. We should never be doing that. Not because of anything I am, or Pastor Mike, or Ian, who preaches, or Brandon, or anybody for that matter, but because we're reading from God's word. And God wants to do something, but once again, if we're too busy talking, or even just talking in our heads, and not paying attention, and not receiving from God, it's pretty hard to what? Receive from God. It's pretty hard to be that good soil that God has called us to be. Because once again, we're not here for religious exercise, to look good. To look the part. We're here to be changed. And sometimes we've got to get a little bit messy to let God change us. Sometimes we've got, and we're going to talk about the mirror in a second, sometimes we've got to look in the mirror and see who we are, where we're at, what our bad habits are, what our good habits are. Not just in the practical area, but also like in the church, the Christian community area, God's word area. Going on from there, good soil. Point number three in that area. You need to have controlled emotions. It says slow to wrath, or some translations I think may say anger. And that word for anger or wrath in the original Greek, it doesn't get off, give off the idea that all of a sudden you're just going to blow up and say, I'm out of here. I can't believe Scott just said that up there. I don't like the fact the speakers are not doing the right thing. I'm out of here. No, that word in the Greek, it, it gives off more of the idea of like a slow process of just being resentful. Having like a slow process to your anger where just over time it just broods inside of you. And commentators disagree a little bit exactly what the anger is toward. I think my guess would probably be that maybe it has something to do with what God's word is saying in the context. But some people might say maybe it's anger towards someone else in the community of believers. Because in James chapter 4, James starts writing about different problems that are going on. And trying to, you know, f- you know, fix those problems, those arguments that are taking place. But sometimes God's word can say things and it's not very nice for where we're at, Right? And we're going to look at some stuff at the end. Sometimes we can, if, we don't, if we're not careful, we can be resentful to God's word. One of the things we're going to look at near the end is wives submit to your husbands. How much do women love hearing that? Submission. Oh, that sounds good. You're right. We hear some, some of the things we hear in God's word, sometimes, especially with sin, we don't want to touch that. We don't want to hear that. That's, oh, that's a little too close to where I'm at. And we don't even know it, and sometimes that brooding takes place where we become resentful to the very truths found in God's word. But that's not good soil if we're doing that. 
And I don't have a point for this part, but it says, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If you are angry, if you are walking around resentful, it is very hard to live a life of holiness and righteousness that glorifies Almighty God, right? If I'm walking around angry about something or someone, how am I going to walk in righteousness and holiness? How am I going to express peace, love, joy, self-control, kindness? How are we going to do that? Now, I'm throwing some stuff at all of us here today. At the very end, we're going to have a time available for prayer. And if some of these things are things that you're really struggling with, and you're like, man, I know I need to talk to someone, I know I need to pray with someone, we're going to have three people up here to pray with. And just think that as we go through all these things, if there's an area you're struggling with, it's one thing to know, it's another thing to what? React to it, to change it, to ask God to do something in your life. And that's what we want to do. We're about life change here by the power of God. So good soil looks like three things. Receptive ears, patient tongues, and controlled emotions. Are you good soil? Simple question. Are you good soil or are you rough soil? Is it hard for the implanted word of God to get and do its work on the inside of you? That word for the implanted word of God, which we're going to look at in just a second, it's literally in the text. It literally means like a seed thrown into the ground. That's how God's word works. It works like a seed, and it goes into our heart, and it produces fruit if we let it, if we're the right kind of soil. So let's be the right kind of soil. Going on from there, let's go back to the text for a second. We'll begin in verse uh, 21 and read for a little bit. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which we just talked about that word implanted, what it means which is able to save your souls, which shows the eternal life-changing work, both justification and sanctification process of God's word, which saves our souls and changes our souls from the inside out. In verse number 22, it says this, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of a man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Okay, so a mirror. We need to look into a mirror. Some of you, it looks like you did not look in a mirror this morning. I'm just kidding, I promise. So I make sure everybody was awake. Everybody looks great out there. Now, when we think of mirror, we think of the way we have mirrors today, right? You look in the mirror, you, you see yourself pretty much exactly how you are, right? We, mirrors like that were not around until roughly the 14th century. So when James was talking about looking at yourself in a mirror, he did not have that kind of a mirror in mind. Okay, it was probably something along the lines of bronze or brass that was just really shiny and clean and polished. If you were really wealthy, you might use silver or gold for your mirrors. And this is how it worked. You would take the metal, which is really nice and shiny once again, and if you got it at the right kind of light or the right kind of angle, you could get a glimpse of what you look like. That's how mirrors were back then. So that gives us some context. That's what James was talking about. I think that's very helpful, and here's why. When we read the Word of God... We need to really read the Word of God. I know that sounds really like obvious. Oh, really? I kind of knew that already. Really? Do you delve into the Word of God? Do you take the Word of God? 
Do I take the word of God? And do we really just get into it and ponder it and look at it from different angles and love it and enjoy it and desire it? One of the best characteristics of a, children of, of, a chi- of a child of God is this, that you love God's word. In your notes, I think it says, are you willing to acknowledge reality? Because that's what a mirror does, right? There's been a few times I was actually joking with my wife this morning about it. I dress myself today. I'm pretty proud. I do dress myself most days. But typically when I have to get dressed up, it's a 50-50 shot if she's going to be like, that looks all right. Typically I get one or two reactions. If she really likes it, it's like, man, that looks great. Or, you're not going to wear that today, are you? Some of you know what I mean. But sometimes we have to be willing to look at ourselves in the mirror. Once again, the mirror James is talking about is God's word. I'll give you an example of my own life. And this is, you know, just, we can beat me up right now on this one. In high school, I was 16 years old. And I spent the last, I would say, See, my freshman and sophomore years of high school, just reading a lot, a lot of apologetics. I'm probably much better read in apologetics back then than I'm close to being now. A lot of apologetics, how to defend my faith. I was always getting questions in high school. Read, read my Bible pretty regularly, pretty consistently. But my life did not necessarily reflect my knowledge, so to speak. I'll give you this example. I was at my friend's house. We would hang out there quite a bit. And I'd say probably maybe two or three weekends out of the month, we'd chill at my friend's house, five minutes from where I live in Santa Barbara. And I was there up until about maybe midnight or one in the morning. And for the last three hours, I had a conversation with this guy. I do not remember his name at all anymore. It's been a while. I'm getting kind of old. (laughs) But we were having this conversation out on the patio. And they were, or he was asking me so many questions. Why does God allow this? You know, problem of suffering. Why does God allow you know, the evil that's in the world. Why does he do that? I mean, I had my answers. Boom, boom, boom. Well, what about this? What about that? And I had all the questions. You know, New Testament, is that really reliable? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's got all these manuscripts. I don't even know what I'm saying, but it sounds good, right? So I'm just going through. Probably two or three hours, I kid you not, it was one of those conversations where they were asking me questions and I had all the answers. And, you know, we got some theology in there. Well, how are you saved? How are you a Christian? Blah, blah, blah. The last question I got, And this is where the conversation ended was, how has Jesus changed your life? And I'll tell you why it ended. I had been up partying the whole night. I was high and drunk having that conversation. Just being real. That's what I was doing. I knew the word. I knew how to defend the word according to 1 Peter chapter 3. But in no way, shape, or form was I a doer of the word. Sometimes that's how we live our life, huh? Starting to blow up back here again. I can hear it rumbling. But sometimes that's how we live our life. We know the Bible. Come over here again. I think I've got everything turned off. I have. (laughs) But sometimes this is how we do things. 
We, we know our word. We know the theology. We know the apologetics. We can defend our faith. Whatever it is, fill in the blank. Whatever it is that you're very knowledgeable about. But sometimes we just do not obey God in the most practical ways in life. I had a couple years in my high school years that I partied quite a bit. If you're in here today and you're a junior higher or a high schooler, it is not an excuse to be a high schooler to party. I think high schoolers like to use that excuse. Well, I'm in high school. I should do my thing. It's not an excuse. God is still God whether you're 15 or 55 years old. Amen? I knew the word. I read it, but I didn't do it. Going back to the, to the points in your notes. Point number one in the second section, then, is we need to look intently into the word of God. And let me explain that a little bit. In verse number 25, it says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty. Some translations will actually have he who looks intently. The NASB translates it like that. That same word that, that is used for looks into the law of liberty or into the word of God, that same word is used when Peter in Luke 24 goes to the tomb to see if Jesus has been risen. And he bends over and he stoops in there and he looks intently to see whether or not the reports of Jesus Christ being risen are accurate or not. And when we go to God's word, we need to be intentional. That word literally in the Greek means to, I can't move, (laughs) literally means to bend over and examine. So I'm not saying everybody has to throw your Bible on the ground, bend over and examine your Bible. I'm not saying that. But physically, it gives off the idea that reading is more than just a quick page read for two seconds in the middle of whatever time you got for the word. Right? To bend over and to examine something is to be careful and to be intentional and to want to do it, to long to do it, to desire to do it. Same word that Peter that was used when Peter in Luke 24 went in there and looked intently to see if the Lord had been risen. I just really think that's a cool word picture. So that point in your notes is look intently into the word, examine the word, desire the word, be intentional to read the word of God. Because it will change your life day by day, and more importantly, word by word. The next two points really go together. It says in your notes, the next one is, remembers the word. And I'm going to give you the next point and talk about both of them together. If you remember the word, you are going to be diligent to do the word. Because once again, the word picture James is giving us is someone who looks into a mirror. That's why it's worded like that. Because if we remember who we are... We're going to do what we are. Does that make sense, everybody? When I was messing up in high school quite a bit, not that I don't mess up now, but that was like some really serious mess-ups, I forgot who I was. I, I knew stuff. I knew knowledge. But I forgot that I was a born-again child of the living God who was called to righteousness and holiness, to live out a life of obedience according to his word. I forgot who I was. It is very easy for us as Christians to forget who we are. When we read the word, we need to, that's why Bible memorization is a good thing, is that it helps you remember who you are in Christ. It helps you remember what God has said about you and God has called you to do. So we remember the word and we act upon it, and the action ultimately shows that we remember. Does that make sense to everybody? 
the action exemplifies who we are in Christ. 1 Samuel 15.22, the prophet Samuel was saying this to King Saul. Saul had just messed up. He was not listening and not doing what God had told him to do. And he says, Samuel says this, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And he finishes it by saying this, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Samuel is not saying that you shouldn't offer up sacrifices. Samuel is not saying that we shouldn't, obviously we don't do animal sacrifices anymore, but he's not saying that you shouldn't come in here and raise your hands and give God a sacrifice of praise. What he's saying is God desires his kids to obey him. Obedience is not a legalistic term, and for some reason the North American church people think it is. Obedience is not a bad term. Commitment to the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a bad thing. It's an amazing thing. Just because we said a prayer for two or three minutes and got saved, we're not done. God is not done using us, I should say. God has called us to be obedient to the word of God. First John chapter 5, verse 3 says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You know why? Because we do it out of love, because he first loved us. That's why we obey him. And I know sometimes in the Christian walk that all of us are going through, sometimes obeying God can feel like a big stack of weights, right? Am I the only one who's ever felt like that before? But see, the reason we obey God is because he first loved us. And our natural expression of love should be to obey him through the power of his Holy Spirit, because we can't do it on our own and to obey the commandments and the words found in the Bible or in his word. And I know sometimes it can just feel like a big religious stack of weights just bearing down on us. But God wants his children to remember their first love. God wants his kids to remember that the reason they obey, the reason they study the word, the reason they obey the word, and we're going to look at some things, time permitting, in just a second. The reason we do all those things is we do it because it's in response to the amazing love of God. And we show our love for God by doing those commandments, by obeying him, by letting the spirit of God lead us as we get into the word and as we spend time in prayer. Our ultimate motivation to serve God is love. And when we forget that, that's when it becomes nothing more than rules, regulations, and heavy religion. If you need prayer for that, we'll be up here after the sermon. In your notes, the last section is called Being an Authentic Christian. Being an Authentic Christian. Verses 26 through 27 says this, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart. This one's religion is what? It's useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Point number one in your notes. For, for, I'm sorry, point number one at the bottom of your notes. says this, the mouth is the press secretary for the heart. Anybody here like politics? So sad. I love politics. Some of the people I work with 
probably drive me a little bit crazy talking about it sometimes. Brenda's like, absolutely. Anybody know what a press secretary does? I actually don't even know the guy's name who does it for our, for our current president. Um, I don't know. I can't remember his name. He wears glasses like me. Maybe that's helpful. But this is what he does, at least, right? He comes out. And he communicates to the country and to the world what? What the White House, at least, is supposed to be saying, right? Whether he does that completely honest or not, that's a whole different, you know, issue. But he comes out and he says, you know, he speaks on behalf of the president. Your mouth speaks on behalf of your heart. That, for me, sometimes is scary. Let me read a passage here. I'm just going to read, it's uh, Matthew 12, 34b. I'll just, write, I'll just read the last part of it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know who said that? Jesus said that. One commentator wrote, an unholy heart equals an unholy set of speech. It's a good way to put it. Where our heart is at is typically going to be expressed through our words. And you are not living, or I am not living for God in the way God would want us to be living for him if that is the case in a negative way. If our speech is just always corrupt and vulgar and full of slander and gossip, that is bringing God absolutely no glory. And it is showing people, and I'm not talking about whether or not you're saved or not, but it's showing people what is going on on the inside of your heart. That's what it's doing. And I didn't make it up. Jesus said it. And that's a challenge to myself and to everyone in here today. Is that your mouth and my mouth, we are, or they are, press secretaries for what is going on right here. 18,000 words a day on average. And I think I already touched on this at the beginning. How many of those words are edifying and building up and glorifying God? And how many of those words are just terrible? You can literally picture your tongue going out in front of your heart and saying, this is what's going on in my heart today. And you might not think, and I might not think people notice what we're saying and when we're saying it. Let me be really clear. People are noticing both within the church and sadly even more so when it's in a bad way outside the church. People pick up on that stuff. I've had people come back to me and tell me, man, you really say that? I had no idea anybody knew I said it. You probably have had that happen too. So let's be careful with what we're doing. Because if we want to live a life of true religion, which is like the actions that we express our faith through, if we want to live a life of honor and holiness and righteousness, we have to bridle our tongues. If you don't bridle your tongue, if I don't bridle my tongue, I'm going to be honest, there is no way we're going to live a life that honors God very much. Because we're always using our mouth. We use our mouth more than anything. If that's a problem for you, I would totally encourage you to come forward and get prayer. Because once again, I think all this stuff's real practical, right? And if, if you see that as a problem in, in your life, come forward and get prayer or talk to somebody and pray with somebody. Going on from there, the next point, underneath the mouth is the press, press secretary for the heart. The second point is we, are, we should be caring for those who are oppressed. In this passage, James 
singles out orphans and widows, which have always been on the very heart of God himself. A couple references would be Jeremiah 7 and Deuteronomy 14, plus his others. Orphans and widows have always been on the heart of God. During James' time, if someone was a widow, there was no uh, really good resources for them to help them in life. Their, st- their social status, of course, as a woman already was problematic, to, to put it mildly. And orphans and widows during the, during the early church times were probably the most oppressed people on a regular basis. Now, I think when James says just widows and orphans, I don't think he means that you can only reach out to widows and orphans. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he means that Christians should all be all about helping others. Should we help orphans and widows? Absolutely. And if we don't, maybe we need to question why we don't. As a believer, we are saved by receiving a gift we do not deserve. We were totally stuck in our sin, separated from God. And God chose to love us anyways. He didn't have to, and he chose to. How much more so should we, therefore, reach out to people who are hurting? How much more so should we be about reaching out to people and caring about people who are going through a tough time? When was the last time we just asked numerous people, how are you doing today? Is there anything I can pray for you about? It's so easy for us, and I include myself in here, I'm busy running around all the time. It's so easy for us to get stuck in our bubbles, right? Where we don't really see what's going on to the right or to the left of us. And we just forget to serve other people. But let's be clear, God's word, not just this passage, commands us to do so. We are not obeying him if we're not reaching and serving others. It's as clear as that. Do you want to obey God? Serve and reach, reach out to others. If you don't want to obey God, we don't do it. It's really that simple. Sometimes you try to make God's will all complicated, right? I need to know God's will. God's word is pretty plain sometimes. As his children, his ambassadors, as his body, our hands and feet should be used to reach out, ministering to other people who are going through tough times. It's not just about meeting for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. It's about Monday through Sunday. Worship really begins on Monday, not Sunday. I know Sunday is the first day of the week. But sometimes as Christians, we get kind of stuck that things just begin on Sunday. No, it's all week. Let's figure out how we can be the body of Jesus Christ in our community and do it. Last point, moral and righteous living. At the very end of verse 27, it says, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. The word there is the word cosmos. It doesn't mean that we should try to get into outer space and to leave this world. What it means is that we should not be contaminated by the system and the works, and the philosophy, and the thinking of the world, and the actions of the world. Of course, we are in the world, but we don't have to be, and you've heard this, of the world. God has given us his spirit so that we can walk in righteousness, so that we can walk in holiness. First Peter talks about how we need to be holy as he is holy. But it's so easy sometimes for us to just drop the standard lower and lower 
and lower and just be like, you know what? I got my fire insurance. I'm good to go. I can kind of do what I want. I can look at what I want to. God's going to forgive me. God's the only one who knows whether or not you're truly saved or whether or not I'm truly saved. But if that's our attitude, that definitely puts into question our true commitment to the gospel. James is calling us to a standard of life that is different than what the world offers. If somebody was to look at your life, that mirror that they're looking at with their eyes, would they see a difference and a distinction between you and people who are not Christians, who do not know the saving grace of Jesus Christ? Or do we just mix in perfectly? It's like we're in a blender together, making a nice smoothie. Or is there a true, distinct difference about how we live? And we can't do it on our own strength. We can't. So let's be clear about that. This isn't about rules, regulations, do's or don'ts. This is about a heart letting God do its thing through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the principles of his word. But there should be a distinct difference between how I look to people outside the church compared to how they look. Not because I'm going to look perfect, I'm always going to do the perfect thing, but there should be a diligence, a consistency of holiness and righteousness in my life that marks me as a child of the living God. And that should be true for all of us. I'm running out of time. I'm going to throw out a few areas, and we're not going to go to these passages. We just don't have time to do it. I'm going to throw out a few areas that God's word is very clear how we should be as believers. And if you want to just jot these down on the side of your notes, as far as to add them, it's up to you. Philippians chapter 2 talks about how believers should be people of humility and service. Are you a humble person or are you an arrogant and prideful person? I'll move on. Mark, number, Mark chapter 10 says that we should be servants. We've already talked a little bit about that. Are you a servant? Do you serve in the church? Do you serve others? The Christian faith is not just something to happen on Sunday morning from a certain amount of time and then we're done with it. We are called to serve each other. We are called to serve one another. We are called to serve the world. We are called to reach out to each other. Let's do that. Jesus did it and he was God. First Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about sexual purity. Sexual purity is a huge issue in the church. Huge. Pornography. Sex outside of marriage. I don't know if this is true, but the last time I heard a statistic on pornography in the church, 50% of men in the church look at pornography. If you have a problem with pornography, first of all, it is not biblical. But second of all, we love you. And so this, I don't mean this in a mean way. Come and get prayer. Come and talk to someone. It is very problematic. It will affect you in so many ways. If you get married one day, it will affect your marriage. I have friends' marriages that have fallen apart because of that. One of my cousins that even happened to. But it is a command, it is an issue of obedience that we are sexually pure in the church. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage, whatever it is. Maybe it's as you know, straightforward as lust issues. Maybe you're not even looking at pornography yet. Deal with it now. Don't deal with it when it becomes a huge problem. If that is a huge issue for you, I know it's a struggle for women, but it's especially a struggle for men, especially in this culture, get prayer. Don't go through your whole life letting this be a vice that's just wrapped around your neck and dragging you down. Last two things. Church attendance. We need to do it. We need to be at church. We need to be involved in church. Simple as that. One of of those things, kind of a no-brainer, will of God thing. Go to church. Hear God's word. 
Football's not more important. Basketball's not more important. I used to think it was, but it's not. Whatever it is, it could be a show that's on Sunday morning that DVR can't tape for some reason I'm not aware of. And I'm a nerd. We need to be at church. That's Hebrews chapter 10. Marriage. Here we go. Kids and parents. Last one. Men, if you're in here and you are a husband, you love your wives like Christ loved the church. That's the word of God. If you're not serving and loving your wife like Christ loved the church, which means self-sacrificing, servant, leadership, you need to pray with someone. The church should be the place where they, we see the healthiest marriages. Not because everything's perfect, but because men who are servant leaders in the church want to love their wives like Christ loved the church. That's the word of God. I didn't make it up. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. I know that's not always the easiest thing. I'm sure my wife is just like, what the heck's up with that passage? But wives who are believers are called to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. It's not optional. It's biblical. That's being obedient to the word of God. And kids... Junior highers, high schoolers in here since the elementary is in their class. Respect and honor your parents. When they tell you to do something, unless it's a jump off a cliff, do it and don't complain about it. You're disrespecting not just your parents, but you're disrespecting God and your own walk with Jesus Christ as far as your level of commitment and maturity in the faith. And if you have parents, be grateful for them. Not everybody has a mom or dad, just like we talked about orphans earlier. That's it. I'm going to close real quick because Mark's going to kill me. I ran late and we talked nice. There's no way I'd go late today. I typically end pretty early. Real quick. I talked about obedience, threw a lot of stuff at you, a lot of references. And I mentioned this near the beginning. And I don't want anyone to leave today thinking that I just threw a bunch of rules and regulations at you. The reason we live a life of obedience to Jesus Christ is because of how much he loves us. That's why we do it. We don't do it to get to heaven. We don't do it to keep our salvation. We do it because Jesus Christ hung on a cross for our sins, for our forgiveness. And three days after his death, he defeated death in the grave through his resurrection. That moment when Peter looked in there in Luke 24 and said, he's gone. We can do it through the power of his word by being in the word, by being people of the word, obeying the word, and by people who desire his presence, who desire the king of the universe, the one true living God. That's why we live lives of obedience, not out of self-righteousness or because we have to to earn our way. We live that way because we don't have to earn our way. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord. For everybody in this room, we thank you for the opportunity to live for you, to serve you, Father. God, I just pray, Lord, that if anyone is struggling with anything that we talked about, or maybe something else, that, dear Lord, that this worship time will be a time where they can get prayer. Myself, Brandon, Tanith will be up here praying with people if anybody wants to get prayer. And, Lord, let this be a time where we just truly worship you, Father, with our hearts and our minds, and we extend that into Monday and the rest of the week. In Jesus' name. Amen.